Morning, Mercy Hill. Yeah, go ahead and take a seat. How are we doing this morning? Everybody made it, I see. We had a little bit of a little hailstorm yesterday. I'm glad everybody made it safe and sound. My name is Dylan, and I'm on staff here at Mercy Hill. My focus is actually the Salt Company. That's our college ministry. So if you're a college student, give me a little whoop whoop. Thank you very much. I know it's like summertime. Y'all like, don't, I don't want to do follow any instructions right now. I've been doing that all year. No, I'm really glad that y'all could join us this morning. And actually, I missed you guys. We were uh, out of town last week. My wife, Maya, and I, we were back home um, in Louisiana. It was awesome. Very glad to be back over here, though. I went to the Xavier baseball game yesterday. I think it was the first home, like the last home game of the season. Yeah, with Aaron. Yeah, we had a great time. And it started storming on us. And then it got, like, when, after it rained, then it got really hot and steamy. And I called Maya, and I was like, Maya, please come pick me up. It feels like Louisiana here. Like, please save me right now. I thought we had left that. Um, no, we're really excited that y'all are here this morning. Um, we're going to be going through um, the end of chapter 4 of First John. And this morning when I got here and everybody was getting ready for the service, um, someone asked me, okay, Dylan, what are you going to be teaching this morning? And I said, well, we're going to be learning about loving God and loving people. And they're like, oh, that, gotcha, cool, that's it? And I'm like, that's it? But in all honesty, that's kind of how I felt when I was asked to give this sermon. I'm like, oh, okay, like loving God, loving people, like seems pretty basic at this point, right? It's like we've, if you've been to church for your entire life or if this is your first time here, you've heard something about how God loves us, God is love, something along those lines. And it's kind of like, like this. Uh, my wife, Maya, and I, we went, um, went on a like kind of a double date with some locals a couple weeks ago, and they were just taking us around. And it was just awesome. Like, they, we went to a brewery by the river. that We got to walk through on um, this really cool part of town um, up in the north side of the city. And I was like, guys, like, y'all live in such a cool city. This is so great. Like, thanks for showing us all these gems. And they're like, Cincinnati? I don't, I don't know if it's, like, cool city. I'm like, no, it really is. But they, they grew up here. They got so used to it that they almost forgot about how awesome of a town that they live in. And I think that's a similar way for us as believers. We go, oh, yeah, God is love. We love God. God loves us. Holy smokes. <laughs> Somebody needs to call me. <laughs> My laptop's falling off. Goodness gracious. Oh, crank that guy down. Okay, sorry about that. It's almost like, yeah, it's just kind of how it's like, right? Yeah, we go to church. God is love, and, and then that's it, right? It's almost like the Cincinnatians also running yellow lights here. It's like, yeah, we know it's a yellow light, but we're just going to floor it. Like, I've learned green light does not mean go. Look both ways, guys. Goodness gracious. Actually, in this passage that we're going through right now, in these 10 verses that we're going to read through, the word love pops up 14 times. So you can think to yourself, okay, love, 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 kind of just numbs you out. But this is the love of God, and this is different than any other love of the world. And with this love, we're going to be talking about how Christ's love gives us confidence to walk as children of God here on this earth and also in the day of judgment as well. And how this love is going to be perfected in us from the moment that you put your trust in Jesus until we get to meet him in heaven. So if you would, please pray with me. We'll begin. Dear God, thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for all the little blessings that you give us each and every day. Lord, and thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins and to save us from the wrath that we justly deserve that we can have a relationship with you. 
God, I pray this passage would not be me speaking, but it would be through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 through 21. Somebody who was paying attention last week would be like, well, we already went over verse 12. All right, Tim did a great job last Sunday breaking down um, the passage beforehand. But I'm going to stick with verse 12 and roll that over into this week because this verse actually gives more or less the thesis statement of the passage that we're going to be going to. And so open up 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, and that's where we're going to start. I'll read it right now. It says this, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Tim did a really good job explaining last week that the best way that this broken world can see God is through how the believers in Jesus are living and acting day to day. So it says that no one has ever seen God, right? He talked about how even Moses, one of the most faithful followers of God in the Bible, is like, God, can I please see your face? And God's like, nope. He's like, please. So he's like, okay, I'm going to put you in a little cleft of a rock. I'm going to cover my, you with my hand, and then I'm going to pass by, and you're going to see my backside. Because he is too powerful for us to see God face to face. That's what he's saying. We cannot see God. But with Jesus Christ inside of us, abiding in us, that we're going to learn what that means. That's how this broken world can come and experience Christ. Through you, through me, through the church, we are the face of God. We're the closest thing that people are going to get by his love. So we're going to find out what that means and then also how this love is perfected in us. So we're going to go through this big chunk, 13 through 21. So prepare yourself. There's a lot of verses, not that much time. So please read with me, starting in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So again, going back to that word abide, how do we abide in Christ? Well, the definition of the word abide is to accept or act in accordance with. So when we're abiding in Christ, that means that we are accepting and we are acting in accordance to what Christ has done for us on the cross. So really the question you need to ask is not just how do I abide in Christ, but what makes you a believer in Jesus? So the world may say things like this, oh, well, you're a believer in Jesus. If you just, you know, you have that cross necklace, you know, around your, around your neck, right? Yeah, that makes you a believer in Jesus. Or on Facebook, you may be able to find out who's the believer in Jesus with all the, you know, Christian articles that they're putting on, right? I put that in quotes for a reason, right? There's some freaky Christian articles out there. 
Or maybe it's like that rad, you know, ancient Hebrew tattoo. And you're like, what, is that, what does that mean, you know? And he's like, it means life. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, I may, I may have put some people on blast for saying that. <laughs> They're cool tattoos. But that is not a mark of a believer. Okay? I was, I, I was able to go overseas a few years ago. And we were with some, some Asian students there. One of them asked me, hey, Dylan, are you a Christian? And I was like, oh, cool. He's seen my life, and now he knows that I'm a believer. It's like, yeah, I am a Christian. How did you know? He's like, well, you're an American, right? So aren't all Americans Christian? And I was like, definitely not. But that's the, that's the culture that they see, that America is a Christian country. Therefore, you are a Christian, right? That's not the case. But this is really a question that the world battles with, and I think that as believers, we battle with internally as well. Am I actually saved by the blood of Jesus? Well, this passage is going to give us assurance in that too. Number one, how can we know that we are abiding with Christ? How can we know that we are followers of Jesus? Number one, we know this because it says that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Read with me verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. Okay, so what is the Spirit? Well, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John was written by John, and John also wrote the Gospel of John. And so in the book of John, chapter 15, 26 through 27, Jesus is speaking here, and he says this. This gives a great explanation of what the Holy Spirit is. It says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is a helper. That the Spirit is more or less our guide through life. That it indwells in us. That through it we commune with the Father. It says, whom I will send to you from the Father. So this is like our direct line to the perfect and holy God if you call upon the name of the Lord. And through it, we get the opportunity to now bear witness not only to the world of who Jesus Christ is, but also to ourselves right? We need to continue to testify and proclaim who Jesus is to ourselves as well as the world because we so often forget. In Ephesians 1, 13, it says this. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, and he says that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay. It says, why? Well, how do we get the Spirit? One, you have to hear the good news. Then two, you have to believe it. And then you are sealed. So what is the good news? The good news is this, that all of humanity is broken in sin. We disobeyed God. We disobeyed a perfect and holy God that loved us so much. And it caused a separation, a rift between his creation and his perfection. And because of that, not only are we now gripped with sin, but we're also deserving of the holy and just wrath of God. Oftentimes, people leave that part out. We're not only being saved from our sin, but we're also being saved from the justice that comes from his wrath. And we're going to talk about the day of judgment in a little bit. The only one that could save us was Jesus Christ, the Son of God who was sent down to this earth, he lived a perfect and holy life that you and I had absolutely no chance in living. And we killed him for it. 
His own creation killed him on the cross. But that's not how it ended, right? Three days later, he rose from the grave and he restored our connection with him. So if anyone hears the news, believes the news, and puts the trust in him, then you are now saved. And it's not like, okay, but if you mess up, you may not go to heaven. It's not the case. It says right here in both of these passages that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. It's like in the movie Toy Story, right? You have Woody and Buzz Lightyear. I know people are like, why are you talking about Buzz Lightyear at church? When they were in the midst of all their little adventures and stuff, remember they kept on forgetting who they were, forgetting where they were, what their mission was. And what would Woody do? He would just pick up his little plastic boot, look under his foot, and whose name was there? God, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It was Andy. It was Andy. He was Andy's. No, you belong to him. It says that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about the cute little like ocean puppies, right? I think that seals look like little puppies, by the way. Then we're not talking about that, okay? We're not talking about sealing a doorway. We're talking about a king or a queen's royal seal. So in the ancient times, if a king or a queen wanted to authorize something, like a law that was to go out into their entire empire or kingdom, they had this ring, the signet ring. It was more or less their signature. And whenever, whatever they wrote down, they would close up the letter, they would melt wax, then they would press the ring into the wax. And that was as good as a law. You could not overturn that. That's what the Holy Spirit is for us. Romans 8, 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's not the necklaces, it's not the tattoos. It's the Spirit of God living in you. That's what makes you a follower of Christ. Number two, how do you know that you're a believer? How do you know that you're abiding in Christ? We talked about how the Holy Spirit is the one that is helping you, really is the one that is testifying the gospel out into the world. And so that's number two. I testify and confess Jesus as the Son of God. This is how you know that you're a believer. Read with me verses 14 through 15. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now there's two important verbs that John uses in this couple of verses. You have testify and you have confess, right? These are more or less court terms, right? So what is confession? Confession is the admittance of something. Could be you did something right, could be you did something wrong, but you are admitting something. And so when he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We are called to confess our sin and our guilt to the perfect and loving Father. And he redeemed us. Once we do that, we are saved. Once we confess that we are broken and wicked and deserving of death, but Jesus and his love rescued us from that, then you are saved and that's when God abides in you. You don't have to fear anymore. That's confession. Then we have testifying, right? Another court term. That is the proclamation of an objective truth. When you're testifying something, that is when we go out. You're not confessing anymore. You're saying, Jesus is the Son of God. That's why it says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. 
Okay, like I said, John wrote John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote Revelation. He only uses the word Savior twice. He uses this for a very important reason. So this has sent his son to be the Savior, the one who saves. And when you're really deeply impacted by something, maybe it's an experience, maybe it's a person in your life, the thing that you want to do is just to, to share it. You, just, you can't even help it. You, just, you have to share something really cool or awesome that's happened to you. For example, so I went to LSU. I went to Louisiana State University. I love it. I love being a Tiger fan. I love watching college baseball, football. I loved my time there. And it's really fun being in Cincinnati because, you know, you got Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. Now we have Lyle Collins. He was like one of my favorite linemen when I was growing up. They're all at the Bengals. So it gives me a lot of street cred when people are like, oh, you went to LSU? Like, did you go to class with Joe Burrow? And I'm like, Yes. <laughs> no, I actually didn't. Uh, but like, it gives me a lot of street credibility. I'm like, yeah, like heck yeah. I love being able to share that with people. But there's also things that have happened in my life that I love that at the time I was actually pretty ashamed of. So I was in the middle school church choir, all right? Was anybody else a church, a church kid, church choir kid? Yeah, Liz, thank you, thank you. All right, Jim, I bet he's got a great voice back there. Get him out, get him up here the Neils. I loved it. I loved being in the middle school church choir. Also, God bless the mothers and fathers. Voices were cracking like crazy, but we loved it. But I didn't want any of my school friends to know. I was just embarrassed. It was something that was so deeply impactful for me. I think it actually gave me a lot of confidence to even come up on stage and and share the gospel with you guys this morning. But I was scared to share it in middle school. Maybe a lot of you guys, and maybe I'm talking to myself too, maybe that's the same way with the gospel. Maybe we're scared to share it, to say whose we are to our roommates, our coworkers, our family members. So ask yourself that. Are you scared to share the most impactful thing that's changed your life forever? We are called to share the gospel and to testify this message to one another and to the world. Paul wrote to Timothy in the letter of 1 Timothy, and in chapter 1, you know, Timothy is this young pastor, and I'm sure he was scared, right? He was under a lot of persecution, and, and he needed a lot of guidance. And Paul writes in this, he says, For God gave us a spirit of fear, not, excuse me, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, <laughs> not of fear, but of power and love and self-control of power and love and self-control. Remember, guys, the Spirit of God indwells us as believers. This is not a weak, wimpy spirit. This is a spirit of power and self-control, the one that has the confidence to boldly share and to live Christ out. If you're a follower in Jesus, you have that, no matter how confident or not you feel. There is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. Charles Spurgeon writes, he's a well-known theologian. I love this quote. It's very convicting. He says, I cannot imagine a true man saying, I love Christ, but I do not want others to know that I love him, lest they should laugh at me. That is a reason to be laughed at, or rather to be wept over. Afraid of being laughed at? Oh, sir, this is indeed a cowardly fear. The Spirit of God indwells in us. We have the absolute confidence and strength to share the gospel to those around us. We have to live it out, right? 
There's something that's happened that's changed you. You want to live it out. So the thing, the next thing that we're going to talk about is that if you're abiding in Christ, you live a life categorized by love. Read with me verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Okay, there's a lot of God and love and abiding in this and that, so I just want to break it down for you all real quick. If God is love, and we are abiding in God, then we are immersed in his love. If, we, if God is love, and we are abiding in God, then we are completely immersed in his love. Remember, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is indwelling in us if we are believers in Jesus, and that means that we are completely encompassed in his love. The best way that a broken world is going to see God is through how we love one another. John 13, 35 says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. We live a life categorized by love. And I think that's really easy to say up on the stage or on this rug. We don't have a stage today. Um, I think it's really easy to say that here in the confines of the church. But once we walk out of those doors, it's a whole different story, right? Think about if I was, say I was arrested, okay, and you know you have like the police lineups where you have like 10 people, and they're behind the glass, and they're all holding the little signs, and they're looking for the person that's a Christian, looking for someone who professes Christ. And they're going, okay, you, 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 and they're looking through. I sometimes think to myself, okay, if I was just snatched by, by the police and they, they, just, they were questioning me or whatever, would my life look any different than the world? And I think that probably on like a good day, like maybe today, somebody could be like, oh, yeah, he, he literally taught today, you know, so that would help. But maybe on a normal day, I have to be honest with myself, I might just look like the rest of the world. So how can we look more like Jesus? What do we have to do? Because oftentimes I feel like I can be a pretty terrible Christian, not just like blah, you know, not really making a big impact, more or less, in the people around me. So this next passage is called to give us encouragement and also a little bit of conviction too, a lot of conviction, I think. Because if we are abiding in God, this is going to grow our confidence. Not only on the day of judgment, which we're going to talk about, but also how we can love our brother. So read with me 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So let's sit on that first verse for a second. It says, by this is love perfected in us. I think a lot of people have this idea that once you become a believer in Jesus, then you'll never make another mistake, you'll never sin, I, know, I used to go to like parties and stuff in college and people would like apologize to me for drinking. Like they'd like say a bad word and be like, oh, sorry, Dylan, sorry. You know, you're perfect, so 
That's absolutely not the case, right? Even though we're followers of Jesus, we still make mistakes. So why does it say, by this is love perfect with us? Well, actually, it doesn't say that. It says, by this is love perfected with us. When you, when you hear about somebody who's perfecting their craft, right? They're trying to get the best design on AutoCAD. They're perfecting it. Or they're perfecting a table, right? They're trying to make sure that all the edges are perfect. Or they're perfecting their tennis swing, right? Like these things take time. That doesn't mean that it's perfect. Absolutely not. But it's something they are perfecting. My capstone project at LSU um, was for a sales class, um, which was actually really fun. But it was a golf tournament. So what we had to do was we had to call companies locally, regionally, nationally, and we had to ask them if they wanted to come and play a round of 18 at the LSU golf course, and it was going to be like a big networking thing for the school. It was, it was a blast, honestly. People from, companies from all over the country came to come play a round of 18 with us, and um, there's about 250, 300 people there. I had an absolute blast, like cold calling companies. Um, I, it just was so much fun. I don't know, it was like my favorite part. But what I didn't enjoy was playing golf. Actually, I don't like playing golf at all. And I think I would like it, but I, I never really practiced my swing. But my little, my little team, which was like the, the, the cold calling team, I think we just did a really good job. And my professor was like, okay, somebody on your team is going to tee off the entire tournament because y'all did such a great job. And I was like, oh, well, it's not going to be me, that's for sure. I was just going to drive around and like, you know, hand out water bottles or something, just like chop it up with everybody. But they, my team nominated me to do it. And I think it was a joke. I, I know it was a joke because <laughs> I was like, guys, please, please don't do this. My professor, you know, he set up opportunities to practice golf um, throughout like the month leading up to it so I could work on my swing and, and whatever. Like, anybody could do this. And this is like my last month of college. I'm not wasting it at a stinking golf course, guys. Like I'm not going to do that, right? Well, I kind of put it in the back of my mind. I was like, golf's easy. And uh, I pull up, and then it was like, kind of like what it says, like the day of judgment was upon me. <laughs> and I had realized that I had procrastinated my golf swing. And I remember going up to my professor, and I, I used his first name. I'd never used his first name before. I said, Greg, I'm going to make an embarrassment of this entire establishment if you take me up there. And he just slapped me on the back. You're going to do great. <laughs> so the eyes, 500 eyeballs were on me. And I was like, all right, just hope I make contact. I walked up to the caddy, and I like leaned over, and I was like, which one do I grab? <laughs> and he was like, you're, 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 you're messed up for sure. <laughs> Grabbed it. I made contact. I made contact with the ground first and then hit it. And I did hit the ball. I think it made it on the fairway. I think I had my eyes closed, honestly. And there was like the weakest applause, like, oh, okay. So I had not perfected my swing, guys. I hadn't done anything about it. And that's what our walk with Jesus is like. It takes time to grow in the understanding of the gospel. Something like the Gospel 101 class is perfect in that. To grow in gospel fluency, to grow in confidence, to grow in serving and loving. But remember, we have the Spirit of God that wants to teach us on how to love like Christ's love. It doesn't only give us confidence here in this life, but it also says for the day of judgment. And that sounds pretty intense, and for very clear reasons, because it is. This is a true moment fixed in time, and we're going to read about it 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Read with me. This is Paul speaking, and it says, this is what the day of judgment is. He says, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from his glory and of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Like I said before, that this day of judgment is coming. We're not messing around here. This is a moment that is as fixed in time as y'all's birthday, right? It's coming, whether we like it or not. So there's two different camps I want to talk to you here. First off is the believer. It says in this passage that perfect love casts out all fear. Now, we're not talking about the fear and respect that we should have for our Heavenly Father. We're talking about the fear of eternal torment. Like, can you even imagine? We have nothing to fear because of Jesus' blood. So when we do stand before the great white throne, talks about in Revelation, and they, he just looks us down, he's not going to see our sin, our mistakes. He's going to see the perfect blood of Jesus that washed that all away. So I don't want any believer in here to fear what that will be. For the non-believer in this room, I want you to be afraid of this day because it's real and it's coming. And, and this, is not a, this is not a joke, what, what's happening here. We cannot shy away from the truth. A question you may ask yourself is, okay, Dylan, but why would a perfect loving God inflict this on his people? How could a perfect loving God cast out wrath and judgment upon us? And that's a valid question. But I want to turn that question to another one and, and respond by saying, how could a perfect loving and just God allow any of us to have a perfect relationship with him? How could he even save any of us in our brokenness? We do not deserve it at all. This is not made up by man. This is purely from God. None of us in this room deserve his love. He gives it out freely and willingly. And it says in Hebrews 12 too, that he actually gave it out because he wanted to. It was for the joy that was set before him that he would die on the cross. He came once as a servant, y'all. But once he comes back, he's not coming back as a servant. He's coming back as the rightful ruler. Now, why would he love us like this? On verse 19, it says very clearly, this is an easy one to memorize. If you struggle memorizing, this is the one. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. This isn't we love God and then he gave us salvation. This isn't we didn't do enough things for God and he granted it to us because of all of our hard work or how good we take care of things, whatever it is. We loved 
because he first loved us. That is a response. We act in a response to his love, not the other way around. So with this response, how do we respond? Read with me verses 20 through 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I need, I'm, I'm somebody that really needs like very clear commands. When I was a little kid, I was such a troll to my mom, but she would, she would go like, hey, Dylan, make sure to pick up your shoes, you know? So I would like pick up my shoes and like walk toward her and go like, done, picked them up. She's like, gosh, put them in your closet. You know, like that's, that's the kind of person I was. I need very clear commands. So this is what it says. This is very clear. He says, and this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the question is, well, who is my brother? I want everybody to look to their right. I want everybody to look to their left. If you're sitting by yourself, I guess you're off the hook. <laughs> that is your brother. That is your sister. Remember, they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And a very easy response is, yeah, I know, I'm supposed to love this person. But I don't like this person. Not, ne- not necessarily the person next to you. Say to clarify that. I don't, I, don't, I don't like this person. I don't like my roommate. I don't like my, my family member. I don't like my coworker, my neighbor. Gosh, I don't like my neighbor. We are called to, it doesn't say only like the ones that like you back. All right, John talks about this very clearly. Um, oh, excuse, excuse me. Uh, Luke talks about this. Um, in Luke 6, 32, 36, and, and pretty, pretty quickly he's just saying, yeah, it's easy. Jesus is speaking here. He says it's very easy to love somebody who's going to love you back. Yeah, it's so easy to lend money to somebody who's going to lend you money back, right? Even sinners do that. Even the wicked do that. But how much more difficult is it to lend somebody money when you know it's not coming back or to help somebody out when you know they're not going to return the favor? That is hard to do. So how can we do it? We look back to the cross. It always points back to the cross. Why is this necessary? How can we do this? One, we have something that the world does not have. We are renewed, we are repentant, and we are redeemed by Jesus Christ, by his blood. We are given the Holy Spirit, and that is our guarantee of our inheritance until that day comes. There's nothing that can take us out of his hand. And God has shown love to us. And guys, we were not the ones that could pay them back. We were not the lovable ones to Jesus. There's absolutely nothing we can do to pay God back. But we're called to love as Jesus loves in this world. So I have a bit of a challenge for you guys before we close out this morning. And as we begin to pray go into worship. I want you guys to meditate and think about two people. 
Today, tomorrow, this, this week, this month, I'm going to give you your own timeline. The two people that you can deeply and truly love as Christ loves. But there's a catch. It has to be somebody that you know can't love you back or won't love you back. It's a challenge. It's difficult. That's why I'm giving you your own timeline. (laughs) Give yourself some time to prepare for that. But if the world is going to see a perfect and loving God, and if the only way that they can see him is through his church, then this is what we're called to do because Jesus first loved us. Let's pray. Dear God, I lift up those in this room. I lift up my own heart to you, God. I pray that we were all, we all learned today. We were all humbled. We were brought low by your perfect and loving word. God, I pray that we would meditate and think about the ways in which you love us, not just in the physical realm, God, but for eternity. How, Father, you sent your one and only Son to die on the cross, to bear the sin and wrath that we deserved. But because of that, God, we can now live freely in your kingdom, that the kingdom of heaven starts now. God, I pray over these names that are popping into people's heads and the people's hearts, God. Lord, I pray that we would be able to be the hands and feet and eyes and mouth of Christ, Lord. So whether it's neighbors, roommates, coworkers, family members, whether they're down the street or across the country, God, I pray that we would truly and deeply love those who cannot love us back. We're equipped, Lord. We've been given your spirit. We've been given confidence. We do not have a spirit of fear or of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. And I pray that we would lean on one another, God, because we need one another. Because the person next to us can be the face of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would live this message out in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions today and for the days to come. Amen.